and welcome to my podcast. I'm Connie. I'm a certified nutritionist and personal trainer, and I live on a small hobby farm. I have a huge passion for bodybuilding, but I don't fall into the typical bodybuilding mold. The naysayers, they can have their bro science. Yep, I said it. I'm a natural health and nutrition nerd. Some would call me a granola, but that couldn't be further from the wrong word. I stay away from the typical processed, standard American diet, and I don't eat granola. I created this podcast to share my health journey and the many things I've learned in my quest to find what it takes to live a mindful, happy, balanced life for all humans, not just athletes. I hope to help you discover your inner nerd and help you make some hefty deposits into your knowledge bank account that can help you crack your health code. That's got to be hooey, right? That's got to be snake oil. No, the reason it's not is because what you were doing before was eating a slow poison. Not enough poison to kill you today or tomorrow, but enough poison to keep you inflamed, to keep you fat, to keep you sluggish, to keep you tired. That's why all of those chronic conditions manifested themselves was because you were poisoning yourself slowly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fit Farming Food Mom. As always, I'm your host, Connie, and today I'm so excited because I have Dr. Ken Berry on the podcast. He is an amazing man and the author of the book, Lies My Doctor Told Me. You should definitely get your hands on it if you haven't read about it. Um, And he basically states that he's been you know, an ignorant doctor, and then he slowly discovered the power of removing the slow poisons of the standard diet, and he replaced them with the nourishment of a proper human diet. And so now he is spreading the cheer around, and he has an amazing YouTube channel, and he's just an amazing guy. So without, you know, talking further about him, I think you're going to get to know him a little better on the podcast today. Just a little bit of housekeeping before we get going. If you like my podcast and you listen to it, please, please, please go and leave a review for me. It helps keep me going. It helps others find this podcast. And it's just really helpful to me. I don't have a ton of ads on this podcast. And the only way other people can find it and, um, you know, listen and, and learn like you are is if we leave reviews and we leave ratings and we subscribe. So... Just stop right now before we get into this podcast and click the subscribe button and then also go down and at least leave me a star rating. Um, It would be even better if you could leave me a written review. I would love to hear what you have to say. Anyhow, without further ado, here's Dr. Barry. You don't know it, but you literally saved my ass a couple months back um, oh, with yeah? some of the things that you said. And it, and it's kind of funny because the way you had said it was what set off the trigger. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of funny because I've, I've read and researched and done so much of this stuff. And it's always been a consideration, but not somewhere where I thought I would go, you know. And then next thing you know... Uh, you just happened to say the magic words and it was like, what, why? Okay. Why was I, I was thinking of this from the wrong way. So anyway, um, I guess I'd like to have you start off by introducing yourself because I'm sure you'll hear all about, uh, what I'm about to tell you with your magic words later on in the show. Okay. Sounds great. Tell me when you're ready. I'm ready. You have at it. 
All right. Hi, I'm Dr. Ken Berry. I'm a family physician. I have a little over 20 years of clinical experience practicing family medicine in rural Tennessee. And uh, that's what I do. And here lately for the last couple of years, I've been making YouTube videos, trying to help people understand concepts about their, their medical care and their health and their nutrition. Concepts that while I don't think they're that complicated, they seem to be very poorly understood by many doctors and other healthcare providers. Amen to that. And that's why I am so happy to have you on here because when you, when I tell a regular medical professional what I do for my health, they look at me like I am batshit crazy. (laughs) Yep. You know, and then I, you know, I am um, a certified nutritionist and a personal trainer and you know, I'm, I'm very interested in nutrition and health, period. And when I tell someone something, they'll be like, well, my doctor didn't told me to stay away from that. Yeah. And I think it's very important for people to know that if you had asked me and probably also you 10 years ago, we would have given very different advice. And we would have also looked at ourselves like we were crazy if we could talk to our future self. Uh, it's a process of kind of bending and changing your paradigm or the way you think about the world and think about health and nutrition. So it's a process for everyone, including doctors. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the book, Lies My Doctor Told Me, was was to help not only help the patients understand that your doctor's not always right, but it's not out of being evil or being lazy. It's just that their paradigm is wrong. And it takes a minute for people and even for healthcare providers to change their paradigm. And, and you said earlier, you know, it, you just weren't thinking about it right. And that's exactly the way to put it. It's not that you were dumb. It's not that you really even learned anything new. You just looked at it from a new, fresh angle you'd never thought of before. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, that's funny because it was a great lesson to me as well when I'm teaching other people about things that sometimes everybody hangs on to something a different way and it just takes that magic word to figure it out, you know? Absolutely. Most doctors, they forget the first two years of medical school, which is full of biochemistry and physiology because everything that you and I talk about every day is verified and backed up by the biochemistry and physiology. But then when doctors get into their their last year of medical school and then their residency training, No one talks about biochemistry or physiology anymore. They just talk about drugs and they just talk about surgeries and they just talk about therapies and treatments. And so all of that stuff is very susceptible to propaganda, to bias, to uh, marketing influence. Whereas the physiology and the biochemistry, it is what it is. It's settled science. And so even the average doctor today, if you said something like, oh, humans are perfectly capable of burning fat, and actually it seems like that's the preferable fuel to burn, the, the average doctor would say, that's, that's lunacy. What are you even talking about? But then if you laid their physiology book from the first year of medical school in front of them, turned to the page that shows that to be the truth, they would go, huh, I, I, I guess I forgot about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when you, you were a practicing doctor and what all of a sudden made you change your mind about things? Well, I, and I'm, I'm still, I have a license and I still practice very limited practice because I find that I can help many, many magnitudes more of people 
by doing what I do now than seeing 30 or 40 people individually a day in my clinic. And uh, a few months back, actually, my clinic, I had a clinic, it had a fire, it burned to the ground, lost the clinic. And my wife and I were in the process of already considering moving to Nashville. And so we just went ahead and said, well, this is a sign from somebody that we probably need to go ahead and do that. And so we did. And I'm still getting a small practice together here in Nashville. But in the meantime, I'm making YouTube videos and and Facebook videos and, and posting all over social media, trying to help people understand that there is a proper human diet that you need to eat. And there are definitely a long list of pseudo foods that you need to avoid. And so uh, the really the watershed moment for me was when I came home from the clinic and I was upset about something. And my wife, Nisha, uh, said, why don't you make a YouTube video about that? People really would enjoy that. And I was like, that's dumb. I'm not going to make a YouTube video. I, I'm, I'm a busy doctor. I don't have time for that foolishness. Right. And she said, well, how many people did you see today? And I said, I don't know, 35, 40, something like that. And she said, well, if you made a video on YouTube about that, how many people could you help in a day? 300? 3,000, 30,000. And you know, if you're married, you really hate to admit when your spouse is right. Yeah. But I had to admit that she was right about that. And so a few weeks later, I made my first YouTube video. And that's been about two years ago now. And the rest is history because it, it seems like those videos have been very well received and have helped a lot of people. That's awesome. That's kind of what I'm after as well as I, you know, it's such a good feeling when you know that you have helped somebody change. And that's why I have this podcast out. You know, I mean, just today I got a message from somebody. I have no idea who they even are. I get them daily. That's like, I have to thank you from the bottom of my heart because I started learning all sorts of things and I'm down 40 pounds and I'm not taking medications and just all because of my podcast. And when I get stuff like that, I'm like, okay, this makes all the hours I spend on this podcast worth it because- I can tell you one thing. I'm not making any money off this podcast. I do it for the love of it. Yeah, that payments like that are worth way more than, than money. It's awesome. I love it. <laughs> so anyway, you started your YouTube video, which we're, by the way, your YouTube channel is excellent. And I recommend it to all sorts of people. My husband will sit and watch it and just laugh because you're so right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you got into that. Yeah, and I have over 270 videos now on the YouTube channel that people can watch for free. And uh, then Nisha, my wife, and I, we do a Facebook Live on my Facebook page every Monday night at 7 p.m. Central. And we just talk about, you know, what's in the news, news articles, medical articles, and take people's questions and just kind of help people one at a time on the Facebook Live. That's pretty awesome. So um, at what point in your medical career did you start making the shift that you have made? It was was quite early. I've always been a bit of, well, my favorite question has always been why from the time I could talk. I think that was my favorite question. And so even in medical school, when they would say things like you have to supplement uh, breastfed babies with vitamin D because women don't make vitamin D in their breast milk. I was like, what? What do you talk? How's that even possible? We we would be extinct as a species if that were true. There's no way that's true. But I'm I'm a busy medical student. I don't have time to look that up right now. But that's got to be wrong. And so why? Why would you even say? And so you got to think about that. 
here's a student going, that makes no sense. But the, the doctor that was giving that lecture, very intelligent man, very intelligent, very wise. But he said that with full faith, full honesty, and with the full might of his academic strength, right? And it was only years later that I, I, I found out that's absolutely false. That's not true at all. If you give a woman 6,400 international units of vitamin D3 a day, which is the amount she would get from being in the sun with most of her skin exposed for 30 minutes, she makes plenty of vitamin D. And you don't have to supplement breastfed babies at all with vitamin D drops. And so just little things like that. It was like, how could an intelligent professor like you say something like that? and teach. There was 175 of us. How could you teach us that with the best of intentions and be absolutely 100% wrong? The problem that he should have been talking about is the pervasive vitamin D deficiency in all people in modern societies today. That's what he should have been lecturing about. But he was trying to tell us to give vitamin D drops to breastfed babies because human mothers don't secrete vitamin D in their breast milk. So that's when the your own personal paradigm shift started to happen. Yeah, I was like, if the if, and I really respected this professor greatly, and I thought, well, if he's wrong about that, what else are we wrong about? What else have we gotten wrong? And so every time something didn't make common sense that I was taught in medical school or residency, or it seemed to go against, because you can see how that that lie goes against the the completely against thinking that we used to live out in the, the wild, in the jungle, in the savanna, 100,000 years ago, we would have all died of rickets. We would be extinct as a species if what he said was true. But that didn't even occur to him that that was foolishness. And so I really started to listen to everything I was told with kind of that contrarian mindset, like, is that really true? Is the research that really proves that or not? And so over the course of my medical education, I collected a whole list of these myths or lies and that's that's where the book came from that i wrote and then also many times when i'm making a youtube video it is a a, a medical myth or a, just a medical lie that doctors tell their patients is the motivation for me making that particular video and i'll just pretend that i'm talking to a patient explaining to them how that cannot possibly be true and here's what the truth actually is right right so I know I've listened to you multiple times and you talk about, you know, at one point in your career, your health was not that great either, but you were giving other people advice. Exactly. Yeah. At the worst, at the worst health I had, I was 297 pounds. I was pre-diabetic. I had out of control heartburn, out of control joint pain, out of control rosacea, uh, dandruff, runny nose all the time. I was just a mess. And it occurred and I was talking to a patient in a room. And I, I said something about they need to lose a little weight. And I noticed it was a lady and her eyes flickered for a, just a half second. Her eyes shifted from my eyes down to my belly where it, one of my buttons was in danger of popping at any minute. And then, and then they, <laughs> you know, flicked back up and made eye contact. And at that moment, I realized I was full of crap. I was a fat, miserable, sick doctor lecturing people on how to be healthy. And that self-realization, just how how comical that must have looked to her, like, oh, really, Dr. Barry, I need to lose some weight? Th that was my, my epiphany, like, I got to fix this. I cannot go through my entire career being this fat, miserable, sick doctor and, and lecture people with a straight face on how they need to lose weight and get healthy. 
And so it was at that moment I started really looking at nutrition and diets and foods what, and, and every single thing I'd been taught in my half semester class of nutrition in medical school, my second year. And I, I basically discovered that every single thing we were taught was based on no meaningful research. It was not based in reality or common sense, and it had no basis of truth in the anthropological evidence either. So my question for you is how much do you think the pharmaceutical um, companies impact what you're also telling your patients oh, they impact, or they, were at the they time? They impact that greatly. They, they had an even greater impact then, but their impact even now is astounding. It's, it's, uh, it's beyond me that it's allowed by well-meaning ethical MDs and PhDs who lecture medical students in medical school. Uh, back when I was in med school and residency, drug representatives, we call them drug reps, they could actually give us textbooks. And I remember my first year of, of residency, a drug rep from the Rosethin, uh company gave me a huge family practice textbook that probably cost 250 bucks just as a gift. And they could do that back then, but now all they can really give doctors in the way of physical gifts are just like post-it notes and and ballpoint pens. That's really all they can give as far as just gifts. Now, they can pay doctors thousands and thousands of dollars to speak to other doctors. They can give them huge grants to work on research or to work on programs that they're interested in. And they, you know, every, all the doctors declare their conflict of interest, but it's always at the end of a paper. It's always at the end of a talk. And nobody really understands that doctors are not special. The inducements given to them by drug companies have been proven time and time again in meaningful research that it does alter their opinion. It does alter what they believe. It does alter how they practice. And it also alters how they teach medical students. But yet nobody's doing anything about it. And so, yeah, the, the, the big pharma has a huge impact on the way medicine is practiced and on the way that nutrition is taught both to, to medical students and other healthcare providers. Uh, in fact, many of the schools of, of nutrition and, and diet, dietetics are sponsored in part or in whole by the big food manufacturers. So again, you've got that just egregious conflict of interest and everybody acts like, oh no, we're so, we are so uh, ethical and moral and so intelligent. We'll never, we would never fall for, that inducement. We'll take their money, but they're not going to change how we practice. But it's been shown time and time again that it absolutely does change the way doctors and other healthcare providers practice. Right. And I mean, you know what I've noticed is <clears throat> even, I mean, I, I think in modern nutrition courses, a lot of them are kind of leaning back towards a more primal way of eating, I would say, getting away from, um, you know, like you coined it, pseudo foods. Um, and things. But that was one thing I found super interesting because, you know, I, I have Hashimoto's disease. And when I went to the doctor, they wanted to put me on an elimination diet. Okay. And I said, well, I already, I already basically, I'm not going to eat half the things that you have on there. I have been, you know, I've been mostly paleo for the last five years. Right. And they're like, oh, well, we want you to do our elimination diet. And I was like, <clears throat> Well, just give it to me. And in the back of my head, I'm going, yeah, right. Not going to try it. <laughs> right. But but anyway, they gave it to me. 
And I mean, there was things like beans and things on there, legumes, peanut butter, all sorts of stuff that is already heavily inflammatory. Why would I be putting that in my body when I don't already and I'm having exactly, problems, exactly, you know? right? <laughs> so anyway, I didn't go for it. I still did my own thing, and then that's when you said the magic words, uh, 30 days, I think it was. <laughs> and, you know, I had never looked at it from that perspective, but I was like, you know, this guy is smart. I've listened to him multiple times. You know, you're passionate about what you're talking about. And, you know, I started researching things even more and I'm like, you know, your challenge was to try going carnivore for 30 days and see right. how you feel. And I went, you know what? I'm doing it. I don't care, you know, and I'm a bodybuilding athlete. So that's like total taboo in my, my world. Right. Okay. Um, you know, and there's so many crazy, so much bro science on the bodybuilding end of things. Anyways, like you'll lose all your gains if you don't eat tons of carbohydrates and blah, blah, blah. I've never really, I've really never fell on that side of the tracks um, as far as that goes. But, you know, I still am, was in the thinking that, oh my God, I have to have carbohydrates if I'm training. Right. I have to. You know, but I was so miserable at that point that I was like, I don't care. 30 days ain't going to make or break me. Let's exactly. go for it. Exactly right. And that's what I tell people. Eating 30 days of anything is not going to end you. It's not going to do any permanent damage. Even if you're eating exactly the wrong thing, you're going to get feedback from your body and from your mind. But you're not going to cause any damage in 30 days. So give it a try. And if it's not for you, then so be it. You can check it off your list. You tried it. It didn't work. But uh, I just uh, I just had a house guest who just left. I don't know if you know Robert Sykes, Keto Savage. But he has been no. a super low-carb, natural bodybuilder for the past few years. And I just saw him. He just left a few minutes ago. And he is ripped and shredded and huge and he's he's cutting right now for a contest and he looks amazing and he eats less than 10 grams less than 20 grams of total carbs every single day and has done so for years and so he is completely destroying the myth that you need to carb cycle or carb up or eat huge, you know huge amounts of carbs when you're trying to bulk he doesn't do any of that he's keto all the time and carnivore most of the time and he looks amazing wow that's really awesome i'll have to look him up <laughs> it's like there's so many amazing people in this world and you can like you can research all day long and you just scratch the exactly. surface you know that's what's so great about it um so when you were trying to figure out what worked well for you where did you start and where did you kind of how did you fall in the place that it was you're just at now? about the time that the primal uh, diet the paleo diet was getting pretty you know um, fashionable and i thought well that sort of makes ancestral sense you know they're trying to mimic the diet we ate thousands of years ago i like that concept let me read about that and then i had completely given up on the concept that that eating lots of carbs and eating super low saturated fat would work because I tried that and that was not working at all. And so I read the, the Primal Blueprint by Mark Sisson. I read the Paleo Diet by Lauren Cordain. And I, I found an old tattered copy of the Atkins Diet Revolution for a quarter at a rummage sale. And those are the first three books that I read that kind of really opened my eyes 
that eating fat will not make you fat. Eating meat is not bad for you. Eating lots of whole grains probably is bad for you. And it was it was those three books that really got me going. And, and since then, I've read probably 200 books, if not more, watched hundreds of hours of YouTube videos, read hundreds and hundreds of research studies, some of which have been published, some of which have only been rediscovered recently. And it's it's and so I my progression was kind of from from paleo to low carb to keto. And then finally, for the last 14 months, I've been almost exclusively fatty meat heavy carnivore. And I'm 51 years old and I feel better literally in every single respect, mentally and physically. I feel better at 51 than I felt at 35 when I was eating an inflammatory Franken food, standard American diet. I feel so much better now than when I tried to eat the DASH diet. I tried that for about three weeks and I quickly figured out, yeah, if you want to feel like a miserable zombie the rest of your life, I guess you could do that diet. But it's amazing when you feed the human animal the proper human diet, they get healthy, they get happy. They they put on muscle much easier. It's still not easy to build muscle. You know that, but it's much easier. And you almost hold a kind of a baseline level of musculature that you wouldn't hold if you were still eating a high carb grain heavy diet. Mentally, you're clear. You can remember better. So many mental conditions I've seen get better with fatty meat, heavy keto or carnivore that, and it, and it feels like if you don't know all the biology and physiology behind it, it feels like magic, right? You're like, it's like, it, how does this mm-hmm. diet make everything better? That makes that, that's gotta be hooey, right? That's gotta be snake oil. No, the reason it's not is because what you were doing before was eating a slow poison, not enough poison to kill you today or tomorrow, but enough poison to keep you inflamed, to keep you fat, to keep you sluggish, to keep you tired. That's why all of those chronic conditions manifested themselves was because you were poisoning yourself slowly. And when you remove the slow poisons from your diet, your body actually has a chance to heal and return back to normal. And so many people today, what they consider normal is very, very suboptimal, but they have no idea because they've never tried this diet. Yeah. And it it actually blew me away when I decided to try it. Uh, Within the first three days, I started feeling better. And we're talking, I'm not coming off of the standard American diet. I just got out of a bodybuilding cut. I'm in a reverse. I'm eating extremely clean food, you know, regulating everything perfectly, nothing processed, but I still felt like complete garbage, right? And I, I finally was like, you know what, I'm doing this. And I dove in and... Within three days, the inflammation my in my stomach right. was gone, um, and my joints already had started to feel better. And I was like, okay, you know, well, bleh, you know, maybe that's just a coincidence. I'm not too flared up right now, you know. And then within a week, it was like I had initially just dropped a ton of weight. And then, you know, all inflammation just leaving, you know. And the next thing you know, um, I mean, I didn't lose tons after that because I was – didn't have a ton to lose. But um, after that, I was immediately feeling better. Like I had a flat stomach again. I could see my abs again. Everything looked so much better and I felt better. Excuse me. And, you know, at that point, um, 
you know, I decided, oh, I'm just going to do this for 30 days. Well, 30 days came, came and went and I felt so good. I was like, eh, I'm just going to keep on exactly. going, you know. So I ended up going, being just straight nose to tail carnivore for about eight weeks, nine weeks. And then Thanksgiving rolled around and I had some Thanksgiving and then I went, which no, my, when I say Thanksgiving, I'm not talking the, the standard American Thanksgiving. We do everything extremely cleaner on sure. my house, you know. We did turkey, Brussels sprouts, you know, I made some homemade cranberry sauce out of real organic cranberries, you know, it was pretty basic, but that was the first time I had kind of, you know, swayed away from all just meat. Um, And then, you know, after about nine, 10 weeks, I started feeling a little bit um, fatigued, I guess, maybe sometimes when I was training. So I incorporated a small amount of carbohydrate back in, but it was very minuscule. I was eating about four ounces of sweet potato in the morning, you know? (laughs) So anyway, and it was amazing the changes that it made. Absolutely. The changes are almost magical if you don't understand the physiology and biochemistry behind why the changes happen, uh, behind why you got sick in the first place, and then behind how you get better when you stop the poisoning. And it's, it's really, it's by far the most fun I've ever had in medicine is being able to share this good news with people about either a, a fatty meat, heavy ketogenic diet or a carnivore diet. And I love the nose to tail version. I just did a Facebook live with Dr. Paul Saladino. I'm sure you've heard of that guy. And uh, I just oh, yeah. love the nose to tail concept, not only for our personal health, both, physical and mental, but also for the health of the planet. Eating meat nose to tail like that, that's sustainably raised and ethically raised, that's what's going to save our planet from all the pollution that the monocropping and the big food industry and the big pharma industry and the big medical industry have basically polluted our entire planet with all their crap. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Now, going back to the fatty meat thing, I mean, you get so much uh, pushback on that, I'm sure, because people are like, well, my cholesterol, you know, they have all sorts of reasonings like, or I, you know, I have one person that's like, well, I have PCOS and we, we are not supposed to eat meat. That's what I was told, you know, and so you get some, some pushback on that. And, you know, with that thought, it's like, okay, well, I think it was you I was listening to maybe that was talking about the ancient Egyptians eating mostly carbohydrate and they had the highest um, numbers of atherosclerosis. Oh yeah. They were riddled with heart disease. Um, And we have, we have hundreds of mummies that were able to put through uh, a CAT scan or an MRI and actually look at their coronary arteries. And they basically lived on grains and, and legumes. That's what they lived on. They had a little bit of fish, but not nearly the amount that you would expect living near the Nile. They didn't eat hardly any red meat at all. They, they lived on a uh, definitely a plant-based diet with a little bit of fish. And they are riddled. Their teeth are worn down to the, to the gum line. And they're riddled with, with arterial disease all over their body. And they, Egyptians were actually eating the diet that most dietitians recommend for us today, a diet rich in whole grains and rich in legumes and colorful vegetables and just a little bit of meat. That's what they were eating. And they were, they were obese. You can see in many of the, the art, much of the artwork in the Egyptian culture, it, it evidently was considered a status symbol to have a, a pot belly because they all had a pot belly and man boobs. All the men had boobs. 
and it and it was not a sign of fertility. Mm-hmm. That's just what they looked like because they lived on grains and beans, and they all were inflamed and had metabolic syndrome. They all had heart attacks early. They died early. They had terrible teeth and terrible dental abscesses from eating all the grains, and they had they had visceral adiposity and they had terrible hormone profiles. That's why they had the man boobs. Yeah. Yeah. So I find that interesting because people are like, Oh, ditch the egg yolks, eat low fat. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know, saturated fats. No, you know, but it's, that's absolutely not the case. And you can prove it um, through that civilization. Yeah. And a lot of people, when I say, let's think back how people ate in the past, that's as far back as their mind goes is the Egyptian empire or the Roman empire. And you may have seen the game changers movie where they were talking about what gladiators ate and they used a, a, a technique called stable isotope analysis. They could actually tell from the bones and teeth of the gladiators what they ate. They ate a diet rich in grains and beans. And so the game changers movie tried to make that look like then therefore that should be the diet of athletes. That was the diet that they fed their gladiators, but they, Obviously, the producers of Game Changers didn't do their history or they would have learned that gladiators were actually slaves and captured prisoners of war. They were fed the cheapest diet that they could be fed to keep them alive for long enough so they could fight in the in the Coliseum for a few weeks and then get killed. That was not an athlete's diet. That was not the diet the emperor ate. That was the diet they fed slaves, grains and beans. And so that also made their their visceral fat more and it made their skin fat more. So if they did get a glancing blow with the blade, it didn't cut down into an artery or muscle because they had this layer of fat that kind of protected them. And so if you want to get fat and have terrible heart disease and and die early and have terrible dental health, then eat the diet that the Egyptians and the Roman gladiators ate. And I promise you, you'll have that. Well, it's funny you should say that because when I have people say, well, I like to eat some oatmeal in the morning or I like to do this. I'm like, well, I I mean that you're welcome to do that. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to say anything about that besides I don't agree with it. But, you know, I want you to think of it this way. When they yeah. want to fatten a cow up, That's what's right. the first That's thing exactly they do? Right. Yeah, you feed, they feed, you it feed grain. the cow grains and corn. That's what you feed a cow to fatten them up. And you feed hogs, you feed them corn and grains and skim milk. That's how you get the fattest hog possible. And so many people, you know, farming is so removed from what the, just the average life of most people, they have no idea that that, that if you want to really put the fat and so marbling is basically fatty muscle disease in cows. That's what marbling is. And if you want to give a cow fatty muscle disease, along with fatty liver disease and terrible arterial disease, then you feed them lots of grains and lots of corn. And it works exactly the same way in humans. What is it? Is it, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but you do a lot of reading. Uh, is it Mark Schatzker that wrote the I'm book not sure. Steak? It, you'll have to look into it, but he writes this book and it's called Steak. And it's his, his quest to go out and explore every way that steak is made and find what it takes to make the best steak that's out there. So um, he gets into some of that kind of stuff as well. And it's very interesting. And then through analyzing all of this stuff, I'd really love to have him on the podcast, but I can't get in touch with him to save my life. But uh, anyway, he also in writing the book steak, 
he discovered all sorts of other things. And so it prompted him to write another book called The Dorito Effect, um, where he talks about, you know, what they flavor things to make them appealing. And one thing that he discovered that makes a lot of these chips and snacks and all of them appealing is the fact that they add a meaty flavor to them. So anyway, I thought that was really super interesting. Uh, what he had to say about that. So I'll yeah, good, good read for you. I've already got it uh, pulled up on Amazon. Bored. I'm sure you're bored. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I'm sure you're bored and you have all sorts of time to go through this kind of stuff. But um, anyway, uh, yeah. So that was interesting what you were saying about that because that's that all sure. kind of falls into it as well. So, so that being said, your patients that you know you're now helping change their lives and stuff. So when you have these people with high cholesterol. How do you feel about all these um, statin drugs and things that they're putting people on? Um, Because I feel like, I mean, and I'm no doctor, so this is just my feelings and I could be totally wrong about this, but I feel like these statins are inducing a lot of other health concerns. Um, Even right, even right down to from what I see, I mean, I've studied the body very, very thoroughly. I'm very interested in how it works. And from what I see, it's even causing people uh, tremendous Absolutely. hormonal it has, imbalances. Taking statins is not indicated in 99 out of 100 people who are currently taking a statin. And obviously, this, this podcast today is not medical advice for anybody. It's just to health professionals talking, but definitely go back to your doctor. If you're listening to this and you currently take a statin and ask your doctor, doctor, does this statin that I'm taking, Crestor, Lipitor, Pravastatin, Pravacol, uh, does it lower my testosterone? And just let, and just sit there and wait for your doctor's answer because the answer is yes, it absolutely does. But I'll bet your doctor doesn't even know that. And then when you get that answer, say, well, okay, doctor, does, does taking a statin also raise my blood sugar? and make me more likely to have metabolic syndrome and le- and then sit and let your doctor ruminate about that because it also does do that, but your doctor may very well not know that. And then ask your doctor this third question, doctor, the, the heart, uh, the, the, the calculators that the American heart association uses and the American college of cardiology, they have a, a risk calculator. So you can put someone's age, their weight, their gender, and, and different numbers. And there's a spot for putting their LDL, but also you put their triglycerides and their HDL in. And say, doctor, does, does that calculator even actually use the LDL number to calculate their total risk? And he'll say, well, yes, of course it does. And then I want you to pull up the calculator on your phone and show him that no matter what number you put in for the LDL, the risk that comes out doesn't change. The calculator used by the American Heart Association to calculate your heart risk does not even use LDL cholesterol or total cholesterol in the calculation at all because LDL and total cholesterol have nothing to do with metabolic syndrome, which is what causes 99% of heart attacks and strokes in the United States. After you've asked those three questions of your doctor, your doctor will probably kick you out of the office or you've just taught your doctor a great deal about how to think properly about the human metabolism. And boom, I am so happy you mentioned that about the testosterone because I, by Ah. trade, I'm actually a dental assistant. And uh, so I work on people and go over medical histories like all day long. And in the process of that, you will notice, you know, 
uh, very frequently, I'm not going to say always because it's not always, but very frequently when you have people that are on cholesterol medications, males in particular is where I really notice it. They have that big yep. pot belly and boobs. And I'm like, okay. I'm, and then they can't lose weight. And you're thinking, hold on a minute. You know, cholesterol is actually important in, in, you know, weight loss, as far as my research that I have looked into goes. And it's also important for the regulation of your hormones. So the first thing I start thinking now that I've started putting all these things together is like, wow, you know, this is actually maybe being detrimental yes. to this yeah, person getting healthier. Problem. They do you know? definitely lower your LDL and lower your, your total cholesterol. There's no doubt about that. The, the question arises is, is an elevated LDL a bigger risk factor for heart attack and stroke than an elevated triglyceride and a depressed HDL? What about your hemoglobin A1C? What about your blood sugar? Is that a bigger risk factor for heart attack and stroke than an elevated LDL? My answer is yes. Metabolic syndrome is a much bigger yes. risk factor. And the way I describe it to patients when I'm face-to-face, I'm, I'm a Southern boy, right? We live in the South. And so we use very common sense analogies. I'll say, okay, I've got a shotgun in my left hand and a BB gun in my right hand. The BB gun is, L, is a high LDL. The shotgun is a, is a high triglycerides and a low HDL and a high A1C. I'm about to shoot you with one of them. Which one do you pick? Well, duh, uh, shoot me with the BB gun. And so isn't it, uh, an elevated LDL a tiny risk factor for heart attack and stroke? Maybe, maybe. And we'll say, yes, it's a tiny risk factor, maybe. Is an elevated triglyceride and a depressed HDL and an elevated A1C and elevated levels of inflation or inflammation is that are those together a humongous risk factor for heart attack and stroke? Absolutely. All those together are a shotgun pointed straight at your heart. All you gotta do is pull the trigger. Right, right. Yep. Well, so I'm I'm so glad that I was itching to ask you about all of these things because you know I I read a ton and then all of a sudden I notice the more and more I educate myself, the more and more all of a sudden everything just yeah, starts absolutely. making sense. <laughs> you know, it's like the it's like the puzzle pieces all of a sudden fit together. You know, and then that with insulin resistance and then your high triglycerides and the whole thing is it just is. one big beautifully painted picture. And so. You know, your body does everything for a reason, right yes. down to what you want to yes. eat, you know, what you're craving. So, um, so going to the hormonal shift with, with, um, with the PCOS, how do you feel? Um, so many doctors tell with women with, with hypothyroidism or with PCOS or with any hormone imbalance, you shouldn't eat a lot of red meat. You should avoid red meat and avoid saturated fat. And that is that, first of all, that advice is based on no meaningful research whatsoever. If you ask your doctor, doc, you said I shouldn't eat red meat with PCOS. Where's, can you print me off the research study that shows that? Your doctor will be staring at you with blank eyes because there is no research. It's never even been hinted at, much less proven. But yet it's something doctors tell women every single day in their practice. And it's egregious. And that's one of the things I'm fighting against. If a woman has PCOS, and I've actually got two or three videos on my YouTube channel specifically about PCOS and what you should eat and what you should avoid, you absolutely need to eat as much fatty meat as you can get your hands on. Maybe some green veg, maybe not. The thing that basically gave you PCOS was your diet. Now, did you have a genetic predisposition 
Yeah, probably you did. But is that a death sentence that you're just doomed to have PCOS? Absolutely not. If you will get rid of all the sugar out of your diet, both added sugar and natural sugar, if you'll get rid of all the grains, of course, rice, corn, wheat, oats, get rid of those completely, but also quinoa, amaranth, millet, rye, those are just as bad. All those things turn into sugar when you eat them. And then get rid of all of the industrial vegetable oils like canola, sunflower, soybean, corn oil, peanut oil. All of those things are very inflammatory for your body. And most women with PCOS, if they just get rid of those three things, their symptoms get markedly better. Then when you keep adding more and more fatty meat, more healthy fats, more healthy proteins, and then you limit your carbohydrates and get rid of the tubers and get rid of the grasses and, the, and all that, and just eat dark green leafy veg and lots of fatty meat. I've had hundreds of women reach out to me on social media and say, my PCOS is gone. Literally, and also I'm pregnant. So thanks a lot for that because I wasn't using birth control because I thought I couldn't get pregnant because that's what the damn doctor told me. I can't tell you how many times I've had that happen and, and women come up to me at a conference and say, yeah, this is this is might as well be your son because it's your fault that I had him at 40, at 45, because I thought I didn't need birth control anymore with PCOS. Well, thanks to keto and you, Dr. Barry, now I've got a, a newborn and they're happy, of course, but then also there's a little bit of ribbing going on too. Right. Absolutely. Well, you know, and it's funny you should say that because I don't know if you have heard of Victoria Felkar, but I had her on my um, podcast and she is like a major expert in female females and hormones. And she uh, she says she thinks that she's a believer that like 95 percent of people that are diagnosed with PCOS don't actually even have it. Yep. It's from an outside contributing factor. And it's something that can be fixed via diet. Yeah, I think I think that's stress, right. There probably is one or two percent of women diagnosed with PCOS who have such a strong genetic predisposition to it that they would still have mild symptoms, even if they ate keto or carnivore. But who I'm talking to is the 90 percent who think that they're just doomed to PCOS or doomed to obesity or doomed to infertility. It's just not true. It's your diet that is slowly poisoning all of your organs, including your ovaries, and making them function improperly. Amen to that. So to, to the food now, we'll kind of make a little shift here. Um, if you don't have anything to add to what we just talked about, um, you're, you mostly yes. are an, uh, you're a big advocate of keto, um, which... You know, I think people get me wrong because I, I I talk about keto a lot, but I don't necessarily tell my people to go on a keto diet. I kind of direct it a different way because the thing is, is there's all sorts yes. of um, propaganda out there for keto now. And the, it's all yeah. just complete freaking garbage. You can eat right. keto bread now. And keto, I mean, Slim Fast makes yep, chocolatey covered keto bars and it's keto approved. And I try to tell people there are two different kinds of keto. I mean, a lot of That's people true. are doing yes, this keto totally and it's not agree. actually keto, you know, and they're not even going in. They don't check their ketones. They're not going into ketosis. They're just basically eating garbage and calling it a keto exactly. diet and wondering yeah, why they don't The ketogenic success. diet that I'm talking about is a real whole food ketogenic diet that is very meat heavy, whether that's seafood, fish, crustaceans, mollusk, or whether that's 
fatty red meat. I don't care. I think either one is ancestrally appropriate. I am 100% against all keto products. So if it comes in a package and it says keto on the package, that's not part of my ketogenic diet. And I've come to talk about it as the proper human diet. And I think there's a spectrum. I agree, not one diet fits everybody, but there is a spectrum of human diet that does fit every human on the planet. Whether that's a vegetable heavy, ovo lacto pescatarian keto, or whether that's a 100% fatty red meat carnivore, which is also a subset of the ketogenic way of eating. That spectrum, somewhere on that spectrum, given your age, your gender, and your medical conditions, is the proper human diet for you. All, be, all the big food manufacturers, they know keto is a big deal and it's on their radar. And so they're trying to come out with low carb potatoes and keto uh, shakes and bars. And, and the, like you said, the keto bread, which is 100% not keto. There's no such thing as, as actually legit keto bread. It's impossible because you have to have brain, grains to make bread. You can't do that on a ketogenic way of eating. We've only been making bread as a species for five or 6,000 years. For the rest of the 99.999999% of the time on this planet, we never ate bread and didn't know what bread was. That diet that we ate 100,000 years ago was ketogenic. Those people were in ketosis from birth to death, except for once a year when the fruit got ripe and they ate as much as they could and gained five pounds for the winter. But on a daily basis, they were in ketosis every single day because burning fat for fuel is our primary energy mechanism. We can also burn sugar for fuel. There's no doubt about that, but it's very inefficient. It's very inflammatory. It mucks up our system and it poisons our body. Right. Well, and you know, it's funny because I had Brian Sanders on and him and I had a great chat and I haven't published that episode just yet. Um, but he, you know, like I was ta talking with him, you know, um, the body is actually, it, I mean, obviously we thrive and we use glucose, but it, it we use it and we're able to actually manufacture it on our own. We don't need That's to right. go get exactly it from an outside right. source. So, you know, and, and that's a really important thing for people to remember. You that's, don't yeah, have that, that, that's to a great eat statement. carbohydrates. If there, there absolutely are essential fatty acids that you must eat in your diet. If you don't get them, you will get sick, you will suffer, and you will die. There are essential amino acids that our body cannot make that we have to get in our diet, or we will get sick, we will suffer, and we will die. There is no essential carbohydrate. There is no essential starch no essential sugar. If, if I put you in a, in a, in a place where all you could eat for the rest of your life was protein and fat, and I never gave you another carbohydrate, you would live long. You would be happy. You would be slender. You would be athletic. You would look great and feel great. You would sleep great. You do not need to eat carbohydrates at all. Now, if you want to eat some, that's okay with me. I don't mind that. But if you're eating a sweet potato or if you're eating your oatmeal for breakfast, do not delude yourself into thinking that's a health food. That's a superfood. That's that's like a multivitamin. It's it's very nutrient dense. None of that is true. It is devoid of nutrition when you compare it to a piece of meat. It is devoid of nutrition when you compare it to seafood, a, a oh. mollusk, a crustacean. All those carbohydrates are are energy. There is no nutrition in them that you need. Yeah, 
I, I mean, yes, I 100% agree. I think a chicken heart, this might sound totally gross, but a chicken heart sauteed up in some butter, absolutely. you know, add a little bit yeah, of garlic, absolutely. that's a superfood. Uh, organ meat is the <laughs> ultimate multivitamin and superfood. Uh, when I see a vegan talking about how kale is a superfood and like a multivitamin, it just makes me laugh at them because they're so diluted. If you compare head-to-head kale with chicken liver mm-hmm. even, it, there's no comparison. The, the chicken liver blows the kale out of the water with regard to how many vitamins and minerals it has and how much of those it has. Kale is devoid of nutrition when you compare it to liver. Right. Well, and here's another thing, like um, like I learned in my nutrition course, they talk about nutrient density, right. nutrient density just constantly, right? But if you think about it, how much... You know, they, they use spinach as an example a lot. Um, the, how much spinach would you have to eat versus how right. much exactly. steak? And the, if you're eating a fatty steak like a ribeye, you're going to be getting so many more vitamins and minerals than you're getting from the spinach. And I'm sure that they taught you, I hope they didn't, but they probably taught you that there's lots of vitamin A in spinach and carrots, when in reality, there's no vitamin A whatsoever in them at all. Liver, on the other hand, is a very rich source of vitamin A, vitamin E, vitamin D, and vitamin K2. You can't get any of those in a vegetable or a plant. They don't make it. What's in carrots and spinach is beta carotene. And some of us can convert it into real vitamin A, but most of us have a hard time doing that. It's usually a 1 to 20 ratio. So if you eat 20 grams or 20 milligrams of vitamin A or of beta carotene, you might be able to make one milligram of the actual vitamin A molecule. And some people are far worse at converting it than that. But if you throw up a nutrition chart with, with a vegetable, it's going to list vitamin A as one of the ingredients, even though there is no vitamin A in a carrot or spinach or kale or any other plant. Yeah. Now you got me curious. Yeah, I'm everybody Google right now how much, in how my much nutrition vitamin A book. is in a carrot. <laughs> and it'll be, a, it'll be hundreds of units. And it's, it's absolutely like, a lie. There is no vitamin A in a carrot. Vitamin A is a fat-soluble vitamin. It, it has to be made by a, an animal. You cannot get it from a plant. Um, yeah, so that being said... I know that you have talked about in the past, people are like, well, I can't afford to eat just meat. That's extremely expensive. And, you know, you you made a real valid point. Um, I've heard you make this point multiple times. You're like, I don't care what you do. Go out, buy some cheap bacon, buy hot dogs, buy lunch meat. And to me, at first, I was like, oh, my God, that's full of, like, nitrates and all sorts of artificial preservatives and stuff. But then you put it into perspective for me because you were like, that will be far better than what you're eating. And then you think about what people have been eating, bread and chips and blah, 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 has exactly. way more if bad buy, stuff if, than going out and eating yeah, a hot dog. If you dog. buy the cheapest so processed meat you can I, find you know, at the supermarket, that is still 1,000 times better for you and 100 times more nutritious than the whole grain bread and the, the, the lots of bananas and, and Ni- Niagara grapes. Those things are just sacks of sugar. They have no nutrition in them at all that's meaningful for your health. 
Right. And so when you put it that way, I was thinking, holy cow, by telling someone just eat meat, who cares what kind it is? You would be already eliminating half of the terrible inflammatory garbage people are eating right off the bat. So... Um, so if somebody is just starting their health journey, well, there's where a ton of do books you recommend they begin? More coming out every day. Uh, I'm, I'm particularly fond of my book, Lies My Doctor Told Me, because there's so many medical myths that doctors just thoughtlessly tell that can mislead you and, and lead you down a false path for years, if not decades. And you're not improving your health at all, but you are taking this pill and taking this treatment, but it's not making you healthier. It's just making big pharma money. Um, I've got a little YouTube channel, like I said earlier, with over 270 free videos. I've got a playlist on there called Keto 101. And the keto diet that I talk about is a real whole food, one ingredient food ketogenic diet. I've got videos on there about carnivore. And every Monday night, my wife, Misha, and I do a Facebook Live on my Facebook page. And every Monday night, come rain or shine, no matter where in the world we are, and we answer questions about, is this, can I do keto if, can I do carnivore if I have this, should I eat this, should I avoid that? And so those are some great places to start, but there's hundreds of other great resources out there. Mm-hmm. And I plan on putting your book, I'm going to start a book club up here pretty quick in my um I have a couple nutritional chats and things, and uh, I'm going to think and I'm going to start a book club and start putting some of these important books that I've read, you know, in there, because I think they'd be very eye opening. Definitely yours as yeah. far as, you know, right. Yeah, what's I think going on anytime the, someone the listens profession. to a book on Audible or reads a book, you change your life for the rest of your life. You, even if you only learn one thing out of the whole book. That's something you didn't know before. And I highly recommend people are so busy, you know, watching TV and watching what's it up to Survivor 18 now and Dancing with the Stars 45. Stop that. It, I have no those idea. Shows and read a book or watch a YouTube video or, or listen to a podcast. You can get a PhD's worth of, of health and nutrition knowledge. I don't care if you're a truck driver or you work at the grocery store or you mop floors for a living. You can possess the same knowledge that the most learned medical and nutritional professionals in the world possess. It's all online now. All you got to do is turn off the stupid TV and turn on YouTube or read a book or listen to a podcast. Well, and that's one place where I definitely struggle is because, I mean, I'm just this person that wants to understand everything around me. It's almost bothersome (laughs) because I'm like, dang it, I wish I could remember that. I just stuffed my head so full of things. Uh, It's it's almost, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a kind of a burden at sometimes. But you know, the other thing is, I ask my husband because I will tell people that all the time. I have people send me messages, emails. There's some great cookbooks out there. You know, there's wonderful podcasts. I will send people podcasts, uh, great podcasts. I'll send them all sorts of stuff. And then a couple weeks later, I'll follow up with them. I'll be like, hey, were you, did you ever chance to yeah. listen to this? And they'll be like, no, nah, I didn't get to it. And you're like, okay, wait a minute. You want to help yourself. But, you know, in this world where we have so much technology and can learn so much, you're yes. just being deaf to any of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You know? I mean, you got, a, this is your one place. <laughs> this is your one life. If you don't take charge of it and you don't make sure that that people like your doctor, you don't want them to be your dictator. You want them to be your learned health partner. That's what they are. 
just like your mechanic. You wouldn't blindly believe your mechanic if they said you need a new motor and a new transmission. It's going to cost $8,000. you would get a second opinion. You get to do that same thing with your doctor. It's not disrespectful. It's at, this is your one life. There's no reset button. You've got to take charge of this or you're just going to wind up suffering for a short time and dying early. Yeah. Are you there? Yes. Sorry, I lost you for a second there. I don't know what happened. But um, anyway, uh, yeah. So and that's the thing is, like, if you're interested in helping your health, you need to take charge of it. You know, Um, and there's so many people are like, well, I can't afford to do it. And there's so many free resources out there. And trust me, I've listened to hundreds of podcasts that I did not agree with. But I listened to them for that reason. I went in with an open mind and I wanted to see how I felt about it. Because, you know, you don't know what you're going to find. And, you know, like you said, there was some trial and error in finding what was right for you, you know. Right. Exactly right. So, you know, and that's fantastic that you're you're doing these, you know, you're talking to people like me. You're doing the YouTube stuff. You're doing all that because, you know, that's how we spread the word and, you know, try to make some changes. Exactly right. So with that being said, are you seeing changes in the medical profession happen slowly? Absolutely. Two years ago when I started doing this and, and traveling and speaking at events, I've always asked, are there any healthcare providers in the room? And initially there might be one or two out of a hundred and they would reluctantly slide their hand up. They didn't really want to admit that they were at that conference. And now when I have a conference or a book signing or a meetup, very often a 20% of the crowd is a healthcare provider, whether they're a doctor, a nutritionist, dietitian, physical therapist, nurse, or and then the mid-level providers, the nurse practitioners, midwives, and, and physicians assistants, they're all over this because they want results. They actually they don't really care so much about following the party line. They want to do what's going to make their patient healthier and happier. And so the last event I was at, it was almost a majority of healthcare providers. They're all hungry because they know what they've been doing the last 10, 20 years, ain't been helping nobody except big pharma and big food. And so I think that most healthcare providers are truly hungry and ready for a way of eating and a way of living that actually helps their patients be healthier, both physically and mentally, live longer, be happier, and just be better humans. And so they're they're slowly starting to realize maybe this keto carnivore low-carb thing, maybe there's something to that. Right. And I, I was wondering from a professional standpoint with, you know, whereas you're in the field of medicine, if that's what you're seeing, because I feel like I see more and more doctors that are saying, maybe you should try keto. Maybe you should remove some carbohydrates. You know, Uh, I'm hesitant to put you on that medication. You know, I don't think you're it's needed just yet or possibly ever if we make changes. I'm seeing more of that. And I'm like, okay, you know, I think there is a shift happening Although, I mean, that leads to another thing. You've, I'm sure, gotten some backlash from some of these pharmaceutical companies um, as far as talking about not going on particular drugs. Yeah, they're not very happy about it at all, but they know, they actually know what the research says. And I've, I've made this prediction before, but I predict within the next five or 10 years, there's going to be a whistleblower that comes out of big pharma and blows the whistle on them that they they have been hiding research that absolutely shows that statins are 
worthless at best and perhaps dangerous at worst. They are, they've been sitting on research for decades that shows that eating saturated fat is good for you, not bad. That eating cholesterol has nothing to do with your heart attack or stroke risk. But they have made billions of dollars on the standard American diet model and on the low fat, high carb model. They're not interested in changing it, but I guarantee you they're sitting on damning, damning research and, and, and evidence that they've known about this for decades. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's not a huge class action lawsuit by patients who've been harmed by these medications. And the drug company knew all along, just like the big tobacco knew all along that their product was harmful. It's going to come out. And that's my prediction. I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. Right. Yeah, I would agree with you there. And then one more note, and I'll free you up because I'm sure you're a busy guy. Um, you know, the other thing that I get with from people is like that their kids won't eat this or that, but they're feeding them, you know, I mean, like you said, uh, a, what kid wants to eat a piece of broccoli, but they'll probably eat some ground beef. Absolutely. Uh, tell yeah. me what you recommend to patients, you know, with children and stuff that are kind of opposed to, I mean, I see so many people feed themselves differently than they feed their kids. And it's like, what the heck, you know, Um, you're protecting your health, but not your child. Right. Yeah. And so on average, children are much more metabolically resilient than adults. And so I don't think you need to go home and be the keto police and just throw every single thing away and say, damn it, we're eating keto in this house. And that's that. I think you can transition your young ones lovingly and gently and ninja style over the next three to six months to a lower carb diet filled with tasty, healthy meat. I've never met a kid that didn't like bacon or didn't like hot dogs or didn't like uh, different meats. Like they love that stuff. Now they may not like broccoli and I'm, I'm happy if they don't eat it. But what I do want to get out of their mouth and out of your pantry is all of the sugary processed crap. All that needs to, when you run out of that box of Lucky Charms, forget, and I'm putting that in air quotes, forget to buy that next time you go to the grocery, because I'm guessing your kid doesn't have car keys or a credit card. (laughs) You forgot to buy the Lucky Charms, but you did buy some tasty blueberries, right? And you can whip up some heavy cream and make some whipped cream with some stevia, and that's a delicious dessert, and it's much healthier than the Lucky Charms. Then next time you can forget to buy the French fries and the tater tots, but you did buy some yummy bacon and here, try this. This is ribeye. This is really good. There's all these ways that you can do this ninja style so that you're not just having a confrontation with your child. And until they've got a driver's license and and the car keys and a credit card, they're not going to be able to do anything about it. You don't have to be mean about it. Be loving and be gentle and be slow. But over the next three to six months, Get the processed crap out of your house, out of your pantry, out of your fridge, and fill your house up with delicious, nutritious, ketogenic food. Right. And there's a lot of it out there. I mean, I can't tell you how much, like you said, with the blueberries, my kids scarf down blueberries like crazy. They love them, you know. And it's, what a better, it's still portable, like chips. You put it in the bag, guess what? It's like chips, you know. Um, And so it's not and the thing is is we are buying our children things that are also marketed as healthy that are not so you know you've got like granola some people are like well my kids have granola they don't eat any of that sugary cereal and it's like it's the same thing yeah granola is candy with some oats thrown in there that's what granola is 
uh, a lot of people, well, I had one patient said, you know, doc, I used to drink a Pepsi and eat a, eat a honey bun for breakfast. And I'm doing much better now. I'm eating special K with skim milk. And I had, <laughs> I had to tell him, dude, you're literally, there's no difference between the two breakfasts. You're, you're eating just as much crap with one as you're eating with the other. And he's like, well, what am I supposed to eat for breakfast then? I said, bacon and eggs. What did your grandmother tell you? And so we started eating bacon and eggs for breakfast every morning. There are so many things that are painted as healthy that are not, that are painted as superfoods. All this, you know, kale, oh, sweet potato, oh, quinoa, oh, uh, spaghetti squash. All of that stuff is just nothing but carbohydrates and all carbohydrates without exception break down into glucose and fructose, sugar. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Well, um, I don't want to keep you much longer. I am so thankful for you coming on today and setting aside time to talk to me and spread the good word. That's been a pleasure. Um, I will put all of your information in the show notes so people can get in touch with you. Um, I'll put your YouTube on there so that they can go look you up. Um, you have a plethora of information on there. <laughs> so you can scroll for days and never touch everything. So, and you know, listen, it, they don't have to sit and just watch your YouTube. It, you know, I personally get on it and I stick my phone in the cup holder of the car and I turn the screen off and I just listen to it. Yes. We don't have to look at your face. Yeah. You have great things to say. And, you know, your face is a bonus. Yeah, right? you can absolutely listen to it like a podcast. And, and I've had many people tell me they do that. It works wonderfully. So um, anytime you're driving mindlessly or whatever you're doing, I listen to stuff when I'm getting ready in the morning in front of the mirror. Um, you know, there's opportunities to learn there so they can find your channel and use that to their advantage. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been a great pleasure. And I think you're doing good work to help people be healthier. Thank you. I appreciate that. And hopefully people will look for your book as well. Thank you so much. Well, that concludes my episode today with Dr. Barry. It was so awesome gaining some perspective about um, things that are happening in the healthcare field and also that there's definitely going to be a paradigm shift in the health environment and the nutrition environment. And I'm just hoping that soon things will be changing and they will go be going from pharmaceuticals to actually healing with health food again and not just throwing a drug at it so anyways it was really great to have him and his insight on the podcast today again please go like and share and leave a review and you know find me on instagram find him on instagram i can be found at connie begani c-o-n-n-i-e-b-e-g-o-n-n-i-e on instagram or you can shoot me an email i would love to hear from you I am the Fit Farming Food Mom at Yahoo.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.